Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Blue Liar. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle butt. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. Welcome to the wild card edition of the Full Slate Sunday Scaries podcast, brought to you by our good friends at Monkey Knife Fight and Blue Wire. 
I'm your co-host, Cody Darwick, joined by my brother out in Chicago, Tyler Darwick. Tyler, hot start for the Steelers here. Yeah, snapping the ball over Big Ben's head is a great way to start. It feels like a correction to the Browns for all the COVID issues they're having, maybe the universe giving them a good break there, but not great for everyone who seems like they have Pittsburgh to close out a teaser, a parlay to end the weekend. Yeah, yeah, all the Bills, the Saints, either Moneyline parlays, teasers, they're all resting on this game, so weird stuff is bound to happen. It's crazy that Kevin Stefanski, like, is just sitting watching this game. He has to be texting coaches, right? Like, there's no way he's not. Or hopping on a Zoom call at halftime. Maybe. I don't I don't know what advantage that would have for him at texting coaches right now, but I imagine he's watching in his basement just anxiety-filled. But that's a great start for him. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, so we had the extra wild card game this weekend. We had a game on Nickelodeon, a lot going on. Today's games have largely been kind of ho hum. Yesterday's game's a little bit, a little bit better. Um, but what's your Sunday scariest moment, Ty? So my Sunday scariest moment, unrelated to the playoffs so far, uh, Houston Texans fans, obviously it was a rough year for them. They started the offseason trading DeAndre Hopkins for basically nothing. Terrible year. They have the third pick in the draft, except the Dolphins own it, and now it looks like just Sean Watson might demand to trade out of there. We've said it all year that we wanted to see him on a well-run team and a good team, and now with the owner kind of deciding to hire GM candidate without consulting Watson, interview coaches without consulting Watson. Looks like he might be on his way out. So Sunday scariest moment out to Texans fans because if you lose to Sean Watson, you really don't have anything else. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing. Like, do you think the owner would try and save face with Watson, like truly the only shining star left on that team, the only real asset they have, given all the bad trades they made under Bill O'Brien? So it's it's going to be a tough off season for them. You have to imagine with the continued reports about him being disgruntled and the amount of teams that would give an arm and leg for Watson, <clears throat> including the 49ers, uh, that he's going to end up being moved. Like, he's their best trade chip. So if they're going to hit the restart button and he's unhappy, like, I think they have to make that move. We never really see this happen in the NFL. We see it happen in the NBA all the time with unhappy superstars, but it feels like if this takes kind of the similar path of the NBA where guys initially upset and the owner says, you know, we're not trading him, we're going to sit down. That usually doesn't go well, and they still end up trading him. So I'm hoping it's to the 49ers. We're hoping it's to the 49ers. There's so a rumor about the Dolphins potentially. I mean, the Dolphins have the most to <laughs> give up, the they best assets to give up. Have their pick. They can give it right back to them, give up to a uh, – not, I wouldn't say we're they're writing off Tua, but if you have the chance to get Deshaun Watson to a team that's pretty ready-made to be a contender, that boosts them up there. So I think there will be a lot of interest for him, and it sucks for Houston, but also like they have no assets on that team, so they should be able to get something back, but who knows. Yeah, yeah, they kind of kind of did it to themselves in a sense, but yeah, all the Bleacher Report graphics of Deshaun Watson and every different NFL uniform floating out there. The 49ers one, they look good. They look good, so fingers crossed there. My Sunday scariest moment was late Saturday afternoon. You sent me Schefter's tweet saying Alex Smith inactive for tonight's game. And it was on my radar that, like, there's a chance that he might get hurt in that game, but him being inactive when I gave that pick as my lock of the week, I figured he would just, like, fight through it, given everything we've seen him uh, overcome to even be back where he is. But 
I was, I mean, the Bronx or the Bucks got off the a, a hot start in that game, but I was like, I was very pleasantly surprised. I mean, they were down nine nothing Washington. I was like, this is absolutely over. But Taylor Heineke was actually very good, and the NFL Twitter and gambling Twitter was kind of losing their mind over him last night because he was running around making plays, making good throws. Really, like, he was able to move the ball pretty easily against his Bucks team. I mean, if you had told me that Alex Smith wouldn't take one snap in this game I could and I could push my bet when we were recording Thursday night, I would have signed up for that, honestly, um, after the fact. So, all in all, shout-out to Taylor Heineke. Proud of him. I mean, they, they kind of had this cover in the bag. They were, they, were, they cut it to five a couple times, um, and unfortunately they just couldn't hold down Tom Brady in this Bucks offense enough. Um, I mean, looking back on it, didn't love the fact that uh, Chase Young was calling out Tom Brady. That seemed like a bold move. But for this Washington team, Taylor Heineke made, made some big plays there. So uh, you gotta got to give him some credit. Yeah, he looked good. He was athletic in the pocket. I mean, Alex Smith coming into the game was on like half a good leg, and it seemed like they finally reached a breaking point where he really couldn't move around, and I had no idea what to expect from this guy. And He played well and played well enough to probably earn himself a contract that, you know, to stay in the league as a backup, so good for him considering he's out of the league like a month ago. But this Bucks team... I mean, we kind of talked about it. You know, you said you weren't super confident in their defense. You can move the ball on them. Like, the fact Heineke had this much success with, like, such little prep work, it's kind of concerning. They're, they're playing the Saints again next week for the third time this year, as we know. You know, it's hard to beat team three times in one season, but their defense is going to need to play better. They should have Devin White back um, from, you know, the COVID reserve, but... I don't know. You watch the Bucks team; they don't like inspire you. Brady Brady looks looks pretty good, but defensively, I'm not sure if they'll have enough. Yeah, yeah. It's defensively for Tampa all year they've been one of the top teams DVOA wise, but we'll see if they finally can be up to the task against the Saints team. That's really. I mean, the first game was closer than I think the final score says, but. Uh, they got absolutely destroyed on Sunday Night Football in a game where I think a lot of people were kind of ready for it to be this Bucks team coming out coming out party. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but it was a pleasant surprise that this Washington game was as exciting as it was because Taylor Heineke really was moving the ball all over the place. He was their leading rusher in the game too, like kind of a bizarre bizarre game overall. Um, but even let's let's talk about today's early game, Ravens Titans. We we said it was going to be the premier game of the weekend, and it was on paper. The game got off to a hot start. The Titans were up ten nothing. We liked I liked the Titans. You were on the over in this one, um, and the Titans were kind of able to do whatever they wanted to with Tannehill. They were slinging the ball all over the field. Then they got a little bit conservative with with the run game. They carried the ball 18 times, 40 yards. They had a couple, the Vrabel punt decision on fourth and two, terrible. But you got to give Lamar credit. He made a ton of plays, and specifically one play, Tyler, that stood out to me. This game was starting to get away from Baltimore. It kind of felt like they're down 10 nothing end of the first quarter. And that was kind of an insignificant play in the grand scheme of it, but it was like third and seven, third and eight. He extended a play with his legs. It was kind of like, oh, is he going to just have to throw the ball out of bounds? But he ended up finding a wide receiver past the first down marker, and I feel like that was big for him to just kind of settle himself. And then from there, the Ravens really controlled this game. 
Yeah, I mean their defense played gr- their defense played great after the first quarter. Um, the, you know, the, both teams started with a punt, and then the Titans scored on their next two drives, touchdown and field goal. They had 115 yards on those drives, and the rest of the game they had less than 100. And I didn't understand the Titans' game plan at all offensively. They kept kept trying to establish a run with Derrick Henry, which obviously makes sense, but on first down, it wasn't working. They ran the ball 12 times on first down in this game for 26 yards. At some point, you have to realize that and make an adjustment. And early in the game, they got the offense going because of the passing game, getting the ball out to A.J. Brown, making big plays down the field. So I don't understand what they were doing. And then the fourth down decision to punt it, I mean, that was absolutely terrible. The whole sequence was terrible because – as I said, they were having such little success running the ball with Henry. But on that uh, series of downs, they ran it on eight yards for first down. They had second and two. I didn't mind the second down throw. It was third and two, and you don't even have Derrick Henry on the field. You have the leading rusher in the league, 2,000 yards. You've been trying to run it with him all game, no success. You'd think this is the one time you'd want to run it with him and pound it um, to get the first down. They throw it to a terrible pass to Johnny Smith, and then they punt the ball. It made absolutely no but sense. Johnny Smith also he dropped that pass. I mean, he just catches that. I mean, the defender made a nice play, but it was just is such bad play calling. You have the biggest running back in the league run it down their throats for two yards. You have two chances at it. It made no sense. It was so is is very soft by Mike Vrabel, who I feel like is usually kind of like a aggressive coach in those situations. But it's a terrible decision. Everyone on Twitter is ripping it. They said. Uh, it was like there's some Twitter account that rates like teams' decisions to go for it on fourth down, and they call it like the coward index. And they said that was the most cowardly decision of the year, which is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. But it was it was absolutely terrible. I couldn't believe they did that. But credit to this Ravens defense for stepping it up, and kind of locking down Derrick Henry, and also Lamar. I mean, the plays he made with his legs were kind of obviously won the game for them. The 48 yard touchdown was incredible. Um, so credit to him for getting that monkey off his back, but I, th- I felt like the Titans kind of blew this game more so with some of their play calling. Yeah, yeah, the lack of aggressiveness just became way too predictable with Derrick Henry runs on early downs, like you said. Um, but, I mean, this Ravens team, they've been winning games, beating up on, on bad competition. This was impressive. They definitely, Titans kind of had them, had their number, right, the past two seasons. So they're able to get the win. They move on. And, I mean, right now the Browns are up 14 nothing, so they are off to a hot start. We'll see. We'll, we'll recap this game at the tail end after the game's over. But it's interesting to see. They go to Buffalo. If this score were to hold, it's an interesting matchup because, I, I mean, they'll be able to run the ball on the Bills. Like, that, that game should kind of play into their hands in a sense. Yeah, I mean, we have to see what happens. There's a lot of time left in Cleveland. I would, I, I hope Pittsburgh comes back because I want to see Baltimore, Kansas City. Again, I think that would be a great second-round matchup, the AFC Championship game. We thought we were getting last year, but, yeah, if, I mean, if they're able to run there in for 236 yards on Tennessee, they had double the amount of yards. But I felt like Tennessee's defense, considering what they usually are, played well enough to keep them in this game. There was, just, there was a lot of bad, bad play calling, I felt like, on both sides, and some bad penalties also, some questionable calls um, that went both ways. But let's go on to the, the first game of the weekend, the Colts-Bills game. Bills escaped with a win. 
I had the Colts plus six, which obviously hit, but I also had the money line, and it felt like this was a game they should have won. They had nine drives, all nine drives went into Buffalo territory. They left so many points on the board. This felt like a classic Phil Rivers game where his team is outplaying the opponent, but the, just the execution in the big moments wasn't there. Some awful play calling in the red zone by Frank Reich, um, some bad decision-making. So the Bills advance, and I think – they have to feel pretty good about it because they got outplayed for most of the game and they came out with a win, so they kind of played their C game and were still able to get by a pretty good team. Right. I think that was the biggest thing in this game, just survive and advance for the Bills, get Josh Allen his first playoff victory, uh, kind of rid rid the uh, the bad memories from last season versus Texans in that loss. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, the Bills were up 11 in this game. Obviously, the Colts end up scoring the late touchdown to tie it up. But I think I think this Bills team, I think just like checking the box, getting this win, I think we're going to see a different performance out of them next weekend. Um, I just I think they're going to be able to start clicking a little bit, and they did have some fans there, so that's that's going to be a thing for them going forward. I do think even even with the lower number of fans. We know Bills Mafia; they bring it, so that that will be something to keep an eye on as as kind of the playoffs progress here. Well, this game swung. The Colts were up ten to seven. They drove down the field. They really dominated the entire first half. And I had Colts over ten and a half points in the first half, and Colts plus three and a half. And these were two awful beats. They dominated. They're up ten to seven. They have third and goal on the one yard line. They run a toss play with Jonathan Taylor, which is an awful play call. Loses two yards and they decide to go for it. And in classic Philip Rivers fashion, the receiver just hits off his fingertips. The Bills drive down. They have a fourth down uh, in field goal range. The Bills clearly just trying to get them to jump off sides. Guy in the Colts does. Bills get a first down, score a touchdown right before half. So I lost both those bets in pretty terrible fashion. But, you know, the Colts love to rave about how great of an offensive line they have. And you have Jonathan Taylor, who's been really good second half of the season. To run a toss play with him made, made no sense. Just go right up the middle. That was the turning point in the game because they should have been up 17-7 to at least or at most, I guess, going into the half. But that was a – I feel like Cole fans have to be kicking themselves because this is a game they should have won. And, I mean, they're set up nicely for the future, but they made so many mistakes. The Bills really got away with a win here, so they're going to have to play better next week. Do you think this is the last we'll see of Phillip? Yeah, I feel like he's done, which is sad. And But it, it came perfect, down – Perfect way for him to go out. The yeah, last, it really the last. The last, uh, the late backdoor cover, the close win, not executing in the red zone, kind of all staples of Phelps Rivers. This game was just three hours too early. The, the people who got bailed out in this game were the refs because on the last drive, the Colts are going down trying to tie the game, maybe win. They're moving so slow, which made absolutely no sense in the situation. But Zach Pascal gets a first down. He gets up for an extra effort. He fumbled. He got stripped by the Bills and would have ended the game. They review it for like 10 minutes, and somehow they come out of that saying he didn't fumble when it seemed very obvious that he did. So refs got lucky that the Colts didn't uh, proceed with completing a Hail Mary to win the game because that would have been incredibly controversial. I don't know how you take that long to review something and miss it, but didn't end up mattering. So it felt like if this was Philip Rivers' last game, he went out in classic Philip Rivers fashion with a comeback coming up just short. It was a nice Hail Mary by him. I did not think he'd be able to throw the ball that far. 
No, I'm surprised they didn't bring in uh, Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. I, I feel like in that situation, if you know it's going to be his last game and the probability of completing a Hail Mary, you just leave him in there to give him one more shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, then the I guess we'll Bear Saints. We'll leave that for last. There's truly nothing notable there. Rams Seattle. The Rams take care of business in a weird game. Wolford gets hurt early in this one. Jared Goff comes in, does not light up the world. And we both love the under. The under was your lock of the week. I also liked it in this game. And Russell Wilson, I mean, he did his part in terms of trying to allow them to hit the under. He went 11 for 27, 174 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. He sacked five times. So it's kind of the, the dominant Rams defensive performance we've seen for a while here. And their offense, they can put up 30 points all postseason. The Rams are going to go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. But, I mean, the defense played great. You know, they obviously got the pick six. It was 6-3 midway through the second quarter, so everyone on the under was feeling pretty good about it. But Russ throws the pick six, and they come back with the long DK touchdown. It's like in a blink of an eye, this went from the under hitting pretty easily to the over, you know, in like a span of five minutes in the second quarter. So that doesn't help when there's 21 points scored in like a five-minute stretch of a game, and it's a low total to begin with. But, I mean, this Seattle team, they went 12-4 and this year, but – it just felt so underwhelming. Like, they started off the season great, and we talked about it. You know, Russ was cooking. I feel like no one in, in the world can guard DK Metcalf. He's always open. And then kind of like midway through the year, it just wasn't that way. They struggled down the stretch. Outside the Jets game, they really weren't super impressive. The defense, honestly, is what kept them in this game. Um, but, you know, as when they faced good defenses and they faced the Rams, they struggled all year. Metcalf, he ended up with 96 yards, but outside of, the first touchdown, the long or the long pass, he really didn't yeah, do much. Jalen Ramsey, yeah, Jalen Ramsey was awesome. They couldn't protect Wilson. Wilson was terrible too. So it wasn't really a good Seattle team, even though they won twelve games. So just kind of Russ covering up some big flaws early in the season. But credit to Rams, their defense played really well. Even Donald got hurt in this game, and they'll need him next week versus Green Bay, but didn't really affect them too much in this game. And I know Jared Goff's numbers aren't spectacular, but the fact he came in to this game when he wasn't expected to play really, um, he just had surgery this week, and he didn't didn't have any turnovers. He made a couple nice throws when they needed him to. Like, credit to him uh, showing that toughness, and Cam Akers was good on the ground. Like, it could have went a lot worse when Walford went out and – a couple of Goff's first throws, but he ended up playing like pretty decent given the injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I imagine it'd be pretty difficult to throw a football broken thumb and all. So, I mean, give them credit. Cam Akers back. He ran for over 130 yards in this one. Um, so they're going to go to uh, Green Bay next week, which is an interesting matchup given we've seen the Packers have had issues with, and the Rams are a little bit like the 49ers in terms of defensively, they're aggressive up front. They're going to focus on that run game. Um, as well as that, I mean, Rodgers has been rolling everyone that's come in his path the last few weeks, um, but we'll see what happens there. The last game, real quick, it was on Nickelodeon. People were getting slimed in the end zone. It was cutesy, pretty fun in that sense. I watched it for a quarter, and then I flipped it uh, to the uh, to Roma and Nance. Uh, the Bears are absolutely pathetic gambling-wise. They scored the late touchdown in this one. 
uh, as time expired, they did not kick the extra point, uh, which would have pushed it if you had uh, the Saints or Bears uh, minus 11, which is basically where the line closed in this one. It felt like a very ho-hum game. Kamara is kind of a story whether he'd be ready. He was out last week with COVID. He was practicing all week virtually. He was back. They gave him the ball a steady amount. He had 23 carries, 99 yards. Breeze did not light up the world at all. Um, But they did enough, and the defense is good. And the Bears are just a pathetic offensive team, and that's really what it comes down to they're so bad. I'm so happy they're out because I'm so tired of watching them. They, you know, they that um, trick play they had in the first quarter where Wims dropped it. You know, they were practicing that all week, and they're like, "We're going to run this at some point uh, this week," and it worked perfectly. That was the best ball Mitch threw probably all season, and it hits Wims right in the hands, and he drops it. And it's like, well, I guess the game's over from there because that was their best opportunity. For a touchdown, and Matt Nagy is so soft. They got the ball back with a minute 40. They had two timeouts, 7-3 game, and they just ran the clock out. And obviously it shows they don't trust Mitch, which you can't blame him. But also, you're a double-digit underdog on the road. You're 8-8 in the regular season. You barely got into the playoffs. You have nothing to lose. Like, go go for a score. You're playing – the defense was playing well. You're in the game. It's not like the Saints' offense – well, I guess the Saints offense wasn't playing well, but you have to go for it there. What kind of message does that send to the team that you're not going to be aggressive in that situation? It was terrible. He, he stinks. Mitch stinks. The whole team is terrible. I think this was probably Allen Robinson's last game on the Bears. It was so boring. Like, the Colts as a 17, the AFC were deserving of being a playoff team because they won 11 games and were really good this year, and even Miami missed it at 10 wins. But, like, in the NFC – Adding the extra seed did not add anything to the playoffs for me. The Bears were a terrible team. Really shows how bad Arizona is that they couldn't get in. The Saints didn't look great, but they won a playoff game. I guess that's all you could ask for from them. But they'll have to play a lot better next week versus Tampa. Yeah, yeah. So they're going to play Tampa for the third time. They've had their number so far this year. But, yeah, this this game was brutal. It was literally putting me to sleep. That game, plus a combination of watching the second half of the IU-Nebraska game as they're slowly giving away that lead, it was really really a special combination. Um, but we're going to take a break. We'll be back after the Steelers-Browns game uh, to recap that one and give out our Grandpa Billy's Bum of the Week. Hey, everyone. Before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand-new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle is created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level, or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, Cody, we just watched the Browns in a stunning game, honestly. Steamrolled the Steelers. They move on to the second round, and 
credit to Cleveland, everything they went through this week with Stefanski being out, a couple guys also testing positive. They weren't able to practice until Friday. They came out and just punched the Steelers right in the mouth. I guess we should have seen this coming from the Steelers team we saw over the last month of the season. Yeah, I mean, while we were recording the first half of the Sunday Scaries pod, they snapped the ball over Big Ben's head to start the game. Cleveland scoops it up, scores a touchdown, and they started this game. It was incredible. They're up 28 nothing after the first quarter. We've seen Cleveland light on teams before like this. The game versus Tennessee comes to mind, but it was like a mix of them being able to do whatever they wanted against the Steelers' defense that's been great all year, despite the ups and downs of Big Ben. Um, and they they uh, were able to, I think, they picked off Big Ben four times. They had the fumble recovery. So it was an unbelievable performance by them. But I almost think the the final score is a little deceiving towards the end in terms of how, how much of a blowout it was because the Steelers were down 12. They had all the momentum in the world. It's 35-23. They had the ball around midfield. It was fourth and one. They were literally doing whatever they wanted against this Browns defense. Browns defense was essentially in prevent for like two quarters at this point. And they decide to punt. They like basically try to draw the Browns offsides. They don't do it. Um, and that's my grandpa Billy's bum of the week moment. Mike Tomlin. They're not punting or not going for it. Then also they're down thirteen and they go for two randomly before that. I didn't really know if the math made sense there. But when they're down thirteen they decide to kick the extra point to go down 12 instead of potentially going down 11. If you get it, you're down two scores. So Mike Tomlin, Grandpa Billy's bum of the week. But the Steelers had life here, and then they punt the ball, and the Browns' Chubb scored like basically like four or five plays right after that. It, it made absolutely no sense. They had all the momentum. Their offense so far in the second half, you know, couldn't be stopped, and they needed two scores and an additional stop in the game. You had fourth and one around midfield. When are you going to have a better opportunity? And then to try to draw them off sides on a punt. Cleveland has to be so stupid to jump on that, so that made no sense. And then the punter, of course, uh, kicks it into touchback, doesn't even pin them back. Just such a bad uh, decision. I would love to look back at Tomlin's record in the playoffs when they're favored because – I think the last time they were in the playoffs, they lost to the Jags, and they were a big favorite in that game. It's just We should have seen it coming. It was too obvious. They always play bad in these spots. Big Ben, his final stat line. Or, I mean, the game, there's a minute and a half left, but it's pretty much over. He's 45 of 65, 461, <laughs> three touchdowns, four picks. Such a weird game. Such a game where Big Ben just... You know, his fat face, he looks terrible, he looks washed up. <laughs> I'm a little sad because I think I think Rivers is going to retire. I think Big Ben might be done. Breeze is uh, probably going to retire after this year, he said. It's just like all these older guys that we're so used to seeing year in, year out, they're probably gone. I mean, Tom Brady still looks incredible, but those three guys probably gone. And, I mean, just such a bizarre game for the Steelers. You thought their defense, like, they got down 20 to nothing, but that was mostly because their offense made so yeah. many mistakes. This The first play is like the super the Peyton Manning uh, Seattle Super Bowl where they snapped over his head and just knew that was kind of the omen for the game. They got down, and you thought, okay, maybe the defense could keep them in it. But even when the defense needed some stops, it felt like Cleveland could do whatever they wanted. Baker played really well. Nick Chubb is a beast. Um, so good for the Browns. 
Um, they go on to play the Chiefs next week, which I'm not sure if their defense is going to be able to get any stops in that game. But, hey, they got this far, and it's definitely a, a great win, and I'm sure Kevin Stefanski is uh, celebrating in his basement right now. Yeah, I mean, they're actually, I mean, the Browns' strength versus the Chiefs' defense, which is their rushing defense, so they might be able to do something there. But looking at the Steelers' team stats, they ran the ball 16 times for 52 yards. Big Ben is probably going to throw for somewhere around 68 to 70 times in this game, just like kind of encapsulates what we've seen from this team. But yeah, I do want to give Baker credit. I feel like I mean, Al and uh, Collinsworth were definitely giving Baker credit on the call, but, like, lost in the shuffle of all this. Like, his head coach isn't there. Big Ben's imploding on the other side. They had the quick defensive touchdown. Chubb and Hunt did a lot. But Mayfield made a ton of, like, great plays in this game. I mean, Steelers are known for their vaunted pass rush. He didn't mess up. He had a couple of dicey throws, but ultimately didn't throw any interceptions. Him and Landry seemed like any time they kind of needed a big play, he was able to connect with Landry for, for a first down. So I just, like, I mean, I... I agree that the Steelers at six and a half, seven, like that felt way too obvious. But to win the game, like I really, I I just thought like playing playing without a head coach would be too much to overcome, but it wasn't. Yeah, no head coach. Their offensive line coach was out. Their system offensive line coach was out. I didn't even know that was a title on the team. So they were really down this week. So it's insane. Um, yeah, and the, and the Steelers just scored it again in garbage time, hence why they should not have won for it, or hence why they should have won for it on fourth and one. But who's your grandpa Billy's bum of the week here, Tyler? Yeah, just kind of playing off uh, the Mike Tomlin theme of punting on fourth down, just like coaches in general this weekend. I felt like every game had such blatantly awful coaching decisions. As I mentioned earlier in the Colts game, Frank Reich's play calling down by the goal line where – they had third and goal on the one, and they ran, like, an awful toss play. That was terrible coaching right there. Um, moving to earlier today, the Tennessee game, Mike Vrabel punting on that fourth and two. That was awful. That was considered the worst punt decision of uh, the season. In the Bears game, Matt Nagy um, being so conservative towards the end of the first half. I know Mitch Trubis, he's your quarterback, but, again, you're a double-digit favorite or double-digit underdog. You have nothing to lose. You're 8-8 eight and eight in the regular season. And then Mike Tomlin today. So I felt like there were so many bad coaching decisions this week. So that's my grandpa Billy's bum of the week. There's also some bad officiating as well. Good throw in there as well. But it seemed like, I don't know, it seemed like a very like sloppy weekend of football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, looking at... The matchups we have for next weekend, we'll have Chiefs-Browns, we have Bills-Ravens, and then, right, Saints-Bucks, Packers-Rams. Those are four powerhouse games next weekend, so I feel like the divisional round is normally where things shape up. Um, yeah, I, it was a weird weekend of football, I feel like. Yeah, they... They have the schedule out, so it's Rams-Packers open up on that Saturday. Hopefully Aaron Donald's able to play, because if he plays, it makes the game obviously a lot more interesting. Then Ravens-Bills a Saturday night. I think that'll be the best game. Eh, I don't know. Uh, Browns-Chiefs on Sunday earlier, and then Bucks-Saints to wrap up Sunday night. So the two night games, obviously, are the best. We'll see if Brady could uh, get past Breeze, but... 
I think both conferences are set up pretty well for the championship games. The one team that would ruin is probably the Ram- the teams that would ruin it are the Rams and the Browns. Um, but any the other Browns, the Browns, the Browns are still like I don't know. It's it's an interesting team to watch, and like Baker's Baker's very entertaining. So I don't know. I think I think you can't unless it's a John Wolford or Jared Goff with one thumb kind of situation with the Rams. Um, yeah, the NFL is definitely set up pretty nicely here. Yeah, as the Browns, that game started to slip away a little bit, and if the Steelers had gone for it on the fourth down like they should have and maybe scored and made a one possession, I felt really bad for Baker because if they had lost that game, uh, I know my guy Coward was prepping those takes uh, for tomorrow's show, but now he's he's got to be quiet and give him some praise, especially with everything going against him this week. Yeah, it would have been more fun to actually see this Browns team get the ball up with up a score after being up twenty eight nothing after uh, after the first quarter. But yeah, that wraps up another edition of the Sunday Scariest Pod. We'll be back this week previewing the divisional round of games. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.